Thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. Thank you for the music. And appreciate the uh, opportunity to be here tonight and to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, be able to uh, preach and uh, fill in for the pastors while they're gone. Need to uh, continue to remember them in prayer. This is going to be an exciting trip for them. It's going to impact the ministry for the rest of their lives. It's not only going to be beneficial for them, it's going to be very beneficial for the church and the future ministry of the church. So you need to be glad as well as proud that we were able to send uh, the pastors on that, on that trip. It's going to be a wonderful experience uh, for them. Tonight I'm going to be looking at uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 9 through uh, 11. You can turn in your Bible to that or uh, scroll in your faith book to uh, those passages. I'm going to uh, be looking at a lot of scriptures, several scriptures, and be able to make com a few comments about most, but not going to be able to go into real uh, uh, deep uh, development of all the, all the scriptures. So hopefully you can jot down some things and look some of these things up uh, later on. I've entitled the message tonight, Believe Right and Act Right. If you want to say it in a negative way, uh, believe the wrong thing, act the wrong way. I think you've heard me say that before. But in this passage that's before us tonight, Paul uh, develops the, the uh, thought or the doctrine of believe right, act right. On... Uh, Wednesday of uh, Wednesday morning of October 18th of just last month, I was watching the morning uh, news. My wife and I get up early and we need to watch the morning weather report uh, because she's a teacher and a second grade teacher and if it's bad weather, she has to keep the children inside and that's a major adjustment for the uh, schedule. So we like to watch the weather to see if it's going to be good weather to uh, let the kids go outside. Well, that particular morning, there was an item that came on the news about the family in the uh, Netherlands who had been living in their cellar for nine years, and one of the boys had escaped, and that's the word that the uh, news anchor used, escape, and he uh, went to a place of business and explained what was going on and that he needed help. And it was discovered that the family had been stowed away in the cellar for nine years waiting for the end of the world was what the news anchor said. Well, if they had been attending Grace Bible Church, they would have known something about end time prophecy, eschatology, the return of Christ, uh, the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation, uh, and uh, thousand-year reign, the seven bold trumpets, the seven, the, not the seven bold trumpets, the se seven judgments, the, uh, 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 the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments, and uh, then uh, the, the uh, new heaven and new earth. Well, that is an example of believing the wrong thing and acting the wrong way. They believed the wrong thing. They acted the wrong way. Another illustration of that 
is the account of Jim Jones and his people's church in Guyana, Central America, back in 1979. I think it's 78 or 79. Maybe somebody can Google that. I think it's 79. Jim Jones, Guyana, Jonestown. If you get that, if you look it up, raise your hand and let me know which one it is. I forget which one, if it's 78 or 79. At that time, Jim Jones had led over 900 people to commit suicide. He had convinced over 900 people that he was the Messiah. And they had moved from California down to um, Guyana and created a compound down there called Jonestown. He even murdered uh, Leo Ryan, one, one of our U.S. congressmen, and most of, or most, some of his envoy that went down there with him to investigate the Jonestown situation. They believed that Jim Jones was the Messiah, and he convinced them to drink that cyanide-laced Kool-Aid, and over 900 people, men, women, and children, died in just a short time. The uh, photos of that were on the news for weeks. It was a horrendous sight with mothers laying on top of their children and the bloated bodies. It was a horrible thing. They believed the wrong thing. They acted the wrong way. They believed that Jim Jones was the Messiah. They believed the wrong thing. They acted the wrong way. Well, the Bible is replete with uh, examples of believing the wrong thing and acting the wrong way. Let's start from the very beginning. Let me give you a couple of a uh, few examples. Look at Adam and Eve. They did not believe that they had to obey God. They ate of the forbidden fruit and were still paying for that today. Look at Noah and his generation. The whole generation of Noah, everybody on the face of the earth except eight people, believed the wrong thing and acted the wrong way. Abraham believed he could have sexual relations with someone other than his wife. He believed the wrong thing and acted the wrong way, and we're still paying for that today in wars in the Middle East. King David believed he could have sex relations with someone other than his wife, and he got into bad trouble. He even committed murder. He believed the wrong thing. He believed he could get away with it, he believed the wrong thing, and he acted the wrong way. Most of the kings of Judah and Israel believed the wrong thing, acted the wrong way, and, and led the nations of Israel and Judah away from God to worship idols. Jonah, one of the, one of the most horrendous and egregious rebellions in the Bible. Jonah believed he could hide and run away from God. He believed the wrong thing. He acted the wrong way. The Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, his name was Saul. He persecuted the church, had Christians thrown in prison, even murdered Christians. He believed the wrong thing. He acted the wrong way. The Apostle Peter went to a little garden party one night, and a little girl came up to him, and he says, I know who you are. You're one of his disciples. He said... No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And the rooster crowed. You know the story about the Apostle Peter. He believed the wrong thing. He acted the wrong way. King Agrippa, in Acts chapter 29, I think it is, 
when when the apostle Paul before uh, went before King Agrippa, he gave uh, King Agrippa his testimony, and when he got through, King Agrippa said, in the King James version, "Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian." King Agrippa believed the wrong thing; he acted the wrong way. Ananias and Sapphira of Acts chapter 5 believed they could lie to God and get away with it. When they did, an instant apostolic judgment was pronounced in their life, and the Bible says the young men took them out and buried them close to each other. They believed the wrong thing and acted the wrong way. The whole Bible is full of illustrations from beginning to end of people who believed the wrong thing and acted the wrong way. That's why Jesus came, to save us from our sin. Not in our sin, with our sin, by our sin, along with us. us. He came to save us from our sin. The whole Bible tells us illustration, story after story, account after account of people who believed the wrong thing and acted the wrong way. Well, I've entitled this message tonight, Believe the Wrong Thing, Act the Wrong Way. In a, in a positive way to state, say it, uh, believe right, act right. Let's look at our passage of, uh, that is before us tonight. Only three verses, Colossians 1, 9 through 11. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. Well, the Apostle Paul wants us to believe the right thing. Let's begin, at, let's begin at verse 9. Paul begins in verse 9 by saying, For this reason. Now you know because you've sat under the preaching of Pastor Mike, Mark, and Stephen, and some of you have been in Stephen's uh, uh, study, uh, study class, hermeneutics class, that when you come to a phrase like this, this is a purpose phrase, a purpose clause. It is just like therefore or wherefore or because. So when you see this, for this reason, you have to say, What's, what is this? You, if you start reading at verse 9 and you don't know the context, you have to back up and to get it in context. Now, the reason is specifically verse 8 of pr- the previous verse. Generally, it's verses 1 through 5. The reason was the report that Epaphras had brought back to the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Epaphras was the pastor of the church at Colossae. He came back and brought this good report to Paul about the church. And so Paul says, for this reason, for this good report, uh, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm praying for you. I am praying for you and asking. I'm not, I cease not to pray for you and to ask. Well, let's look next at this attitude of asking that the apostle had. He says, uh, he says, uh, I do not cease to pray for you. 
Now, that does not mean that Paul prayed every breath. Every breath he took, he prayed a prayer. That would be ridiculous. It would be unreasonable. I mean, he couldn't speak. He couldn't write this passage for us. What it does mean is Paul did not stop praying for them. He did not cease to pray for them. It means he prayed for them today. He's going to pray for them tomorrow. He's going to pray for them next week. He, do, he, he does not pray every breath of his life. That, does not, that is not what that means. It means he's continuing to remember them in prayer when he prays. The, the Bible tells us many places of the, of the same thing. He told the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. One of the best illustrations I know, or perhaps one good illustration, of someone who had, um, uh, had a good attitude of prayer was Nehemiah. Let's read this, and I'm going to make a few comments about it. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass about the, about the month of Nisan, that in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, how'd you like to have a job like that? If you didn't drop dead, drinking and eating the king's food, he would eat. Think about that. Now, I had not been sad in his presence, so, he, so the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness. So Nehemiah had somehow kept his feelings back from the king. But on this occasion, his countenance uh, was different. He was sad, and so the king noticed that. Now, it tells us a lot about how uh, the kind of relationship that Nehemiah and uh, the king had, that the king knew him well enough that something was wrong. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies desolate and the gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? Now, how would you like to have a blank check like that from the, one of the richest and most powerful men on the face of the earth? What do you want? How can I help you? What can I do for you? What do you think Nehemiah did? Look at the next statement. I put it in bold letters and underlined it. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, we don't know a time frame here, time lapse. I don't know if Artaxerx, King Artaxerxes said, Now, Nehemiah, you go back to your apartment that died and, and you uh, check, uh, check on Google and Twitter and Facebook and you pray to your God about all of this and you come back at 10 o'clock tomorrow to taste my food and we'll talk about it. We don't know that that happened. We don't know, we don't know any time frame here other than what's given to us in the passage. We do know that the king says, what is your request? And we do know that Nehemiah prayed. When and how he did it, I don't know. The length of the prayer, we don't know. The Bible says he prayed to the God of heaven. Now, here's what I think could have happened. The king says, what would you request? And Nehemiah probably said under his breath, Oh, Lord, what do I do now? Help me, dear Lord. Oh, Lord, give me the words to say. You've, you've done that. Being caught in a place where 
where you don't know what to do. Oh, Lord, help me. Maybe that's what he did. We don't know. So I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. And you know what happened? Because we just got through studying the book of Nehemiah with Pastor Mark. He went back and began to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah was a man, I think, who had an attitude of prayer. He just prayed. I had a friend, a pastor friend. Name, his name was John. And he was one of the most aggravating preachers you've ever seen. We would be sitting around talking in one of the big preachers meeting, you know, and we, we'd uh, be talking about spiritual things like how many angels could dance on the head of a pen. And John would be sitting over there praying. And say, John, what do you think? John, John. He did that all the time. He'd be talking to him just in a conversation. All of a sudden, he'd just start praying. He had an attitude of prayer. He did that all the time. Well, let's look, he, let's look at the, some of the specifics of what Paul asked. He says, I says, I'm praying and ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul wants believers to be knowledgeable. God wants us to be knowledgeable. Paul says, I want you to have a special kind of knowledge, a special kind of wisdom, and a special kind of understanding. This is uh, knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, and spiritual understanding. So he says, I want you to know the things of God. I want you to understand the Bible. I want you to know what the Bible says. Know the things of God. The Bible tells us a lot about uh, knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 1, 5, it says, In everything you're enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Why, well, in Colossians chapter 2, it says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that is Christ. Colossians 3 says, And have put on the new self who is being renewed in the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So God wants us to be knowledgeable. God wants us to have wisdom. Now, I'm not going to try to differentiate between knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. I used to try to define those and found out that I really got tongue-tangled trying to do that. Wisdom, of course, is the application, practical application of knowledge and understanding. But I think they refer to one and the same thing. As we go through some of these passages, you're going to see. It simply means have the knowledge and understanding and the ability to apply God's Word. It's, I think they're one and the same with maybe a different nuance of meaning between the, uh, uh, amongst the three of them. In uh, Colossians 10, he, calls, he refers to knowledge as true knowledge. Knowledge of God, knowledge of the Bible, true knowledge. Now, in regards to that, the Bible warns us about the lack of knowledge. In Proverbs 19.2, it says, Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge. Isaiah said, My people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Hosea said, My, my uh, people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 14, 
20 says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Wow, what in the world is that? Children thinking, inf infants be mature. Are we adults or children or infants? Simple. Don't be children in your thinking. Children do not have the capacity to think as a mature adult. So he said, don't be children in your thinking. That's easy to understand. What about the infant? Yet in evil be infants. My neighbor brought a brand new grandbaby over yesterday. Or yesterday or Friday, Lindy came by. It must have been yesterday. On a golf cart, taking that baby all over the neighborhood in a golf cart. Just, just a little old thing, eight pounds. Uh, not even two months old yet. So the mama was sitting on the back of the golf cart. I said, what does that baby do? She said, she eats and messes her diaper and sleeps and sometimes cries. I said, really? You know what? That baby doesn't get a gun and shoot somebody, doesn't get a knife and stab somebody, an infant does not rob the 7-Eleven store. An infant does not hold bitterness and malice and hatred against somebody. An infant does not commit evil. Now, the infant has the capacity to commit evil. But an infant, as long as they're an infant, whatever age that is, does not commit evil. So it's simple. Be as infants. Don't do evil. That's all he's saying. Stay away from evil. Be mature in your thinking. And in regards to evil, be infants. Infants don't commit crimes. We're to be knowledgeable of God's Word. Look at Ephesians 4, uh, 13 and 14. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. God wants us to be mature. God wants us to have knowledge and to be mature. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. I'm going to cover this verse again later on. Look at, look at this verse. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Now the word Gentile here is, is not a, a derogatory term. It's simply describing the unbeliever. This is the description of the unbeliever, the empty-minded. Now, don't get me wrong. Unsaved people are not stupid. The Bible says they have a, a, a mind of futility in regards to the things of God. It's empty in regards to the things of God. They are darkened in their understanding. They do not understand the things of God because of their ignorance of the things of God. Because of the hardness of their heart. That perfectly describes us before we were saved. So the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians, Don't be like the Gentiles. I want you to have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding and know what the Bible says and know the things of God. Well, how does a person get this, get this knowledge? I'm glad you asked. If I stand up here and say... The Apostle Paul wants you to have knowledge. He wants you to have understanding. He wants you to have wisdom. The next thing you ought to say, okay, preacher, how do I get it? Okay, I'm going to tell you. First of all, desire it. Look what uh, 
Peter says in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. How do we grow in respect to our salvation? Through God's word. Long for it. Desire God's word. Why even Job said in Job 23, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured his words of, uh, of his mouth more than necessary food. The psalmist wrote, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalms 19.10 says, God's word is desirable more than gold. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15, when I found the word, I ate it, and it was a delight to my heart. You see that? It was a joy and a delight. I left that out. We need to know God's word. First of all, desire it. Second of all, depend on the Holy Spirit. Colossians, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.12 uh, now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in the believer. The Holy Spirit will help us to understand and to know the things of God. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Desire it. Depend on it. Thirdly, study the Scripture. Paul told Timothy, the young preacher, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. He also told, told Timothy to study, to show yourselves approved. That is, study the things of God. Study God's Word. Desire knowledge. Desire, uh, desire knowledge. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Study the Bible. If you want spiritual knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, desire it. Depend on the Holy Spirit and study the Bible. And then, fourthly, make sure you're saved. Make sure you're a believer. Why, even Job said before anything else was written. Look at Job 28, 28. And to man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Now, those of you that were in uh, Matt's class this morning, you know, he talked about some of this, the fear of the Lord. When he opened that up and started, started teaching, I said, Oh, no, he's going he's gonna to teach my sermon this morning. <laughs> the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. You know, it, when I was a youngster, people sometimes people would be called a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman. That meant, that meant they were saved. That meant they were a believer. You don't hear that much anymore, a God-fearing person. Job said, before any other scripture was written down, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, godly wisdom. A believer has the ability to have godly wisdom. And then to depart from evil, that is understanding. I'll give you an illustration of departing from, departing from evil. Joseph fled uh, Potiphar's wife after she tried to 
uh, make him do some evil things. He ran away. Depart from evil. That is understanding. All right. So now come to point number two. Believe, uh, uh, act right. These first verses, in verse, uh, uh, this first verse in verse 9, Paul says, I want you to have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. I want you to have this uh, knowledge from God, spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. Okay, so we read verse 9, and we say, okay, I want to have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And I think I'm a believer, and I just want to depend on the Holy Spirit. I want to grow in my salvation. I want to uh, grow in the things of God. What do I do with this knowledge, wisdom, and understanding? That's what Paul states here in verse 10. Look, this, look at this. So that. I want you to have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that. I want you to have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that you can do this. See, this is another purpose statement. If you start reading at verse 10, you have to stop and back up. So that what? <laughs> so that verse 9. Then when you get to verse 9, uh, so what? Then you've got to go to verse 8. You've got to take it in context. Remember the three rules? Context, context, context. I want you to have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that. Now, in the early days of America, the pilgrims had a two-point sermon. Doctrine and duty. They would stand up, state a doctrine, and then state the duty to fulfill that doctrine. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul has given to us here. I want you to have uh, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that you can do something. You see that? It's a purpose statement. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding for a purpose. All right, now look at verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's the word knowledge again. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness patience, and patience uh, joyously. Well, Paul prayed for the church that they would have a worthy walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, whenever the Bible talks about a person walking, they're talking about their daily conduct. conduct. In this passage of Scripture, uh, walk in a manner refers to our, our daily actions, our daily conduct, our going through life on a day-by-day -day basis. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses this phrase uh, often throughout uh, the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of, uh, uh, worthy of the God uh, who calls you. And Ephesians 4, 1, it says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In Philippians, he said, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So we are to walk in a certain way. God has not left us to our own resources to try to figure out how to walk. God has not left us to our own resources to try to figure out uh, what we do to have a worthy walk. Look what he, look what he tells us, especially beginning here in Gal uh, Galatians 
I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If we're believers, Christ dwells in us. Christ lives in us. We need to, need to try to live a life that is going to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has not left us to our own devices to try to figure out what this walk is. In Ephesians 3.17, he says that, I, uh, that he would grant you according to his riches, uh, to his uh, riches, to the riches in his glory to be strengthened with uh, the power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That word dwell there is an interesting word. It means at home. It literally means at home. If Christ is not at home in your heart, then there's a problem. If Christ is not welcomed in your life, we call that a problem. Christ must dwell. He must be at home. All of the things that represent a loving, warm home uh, that, that would uh, draw the, the family uh, in and draw the family together, that's the picture that he's uh, giving to us here. Christ dwells in us because Christ is at home. left that off, didn't I? The New Testament uh, describes several features of a worthy walk. I'm going to tell you now how to walk. I'm going to tell you what a manner of walk is, how to walk. Now, to, how many of you know what November 10th is? <gasps> what is it? Huh? Berlin Wall? Berlin Wall? No, you embarrassed me, Dave. <laughs> did it come down on the tent? Oh, it did? Okay, I didn't know. I wasn't even thinking about that. Sorry. November 10th, 1775, what happened? Nobody knows? Oh, Marine Corps birthday. Don't you ever forget the Marine Corps birthday. Semper Fi. Marine Corps birthday. When I went in the Marines, they taught us how to walk, talk, sit, eat, and everything else, how to dress. They taught you the manner of walk. We, did not, we were not left to our own devices to figure out how to walk or run or march or anything. The Bible tells us how to walk in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner uh, uh, worthy of what God has called you with all humility. Now, I'm only emphasizing humility here, but there are five different uh, items that are listed here. Uh, humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, uh, and love. So we are to walk in humility. I don't have time to develop all of, the, all of these. I'm just going to uh, give them to you. Be humble. Walk in uh, purity in Romans 13. Uh, 13 it says let us behave properly as in the day not not in carousing and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or sensuality not in strife and jealousy I don't need to define these terms carousing drunkenness sexual promiscuity sensuality strife and jealousy those are improper behavior the Bible calls it we are to behave properly behave in a manner that's going to be right with God, live a life of purity. We are to 
uh, walk in contentedness in 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one as God has called each, each in this let him walk. Your secretary, be the best secretary you, uh, you can. If you're an executive, be the best executive you can. Whatever, if you're a clerk, whatever God has placed you in, be the best one you can. Be contented with where you are. If you're not contented there, you need to find a way to get contented there. We are to walk in faith. Second Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith not by sight. We are to walk by good works, Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are to walk differently from the world. Look at this verse. This, this is one we read a while ago, Ephesians 4.17. This I say and affirm together with, with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance, that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. We are to walk differently than the world. We're not to walk like the unsaved, unbelieving Gentiles that are described here. They are empty-minded, empty-headed, darkened in their understanding, don't care a thing about God, they ig have ignorance of God, and they have a hard heart. We are not to walk that way. We are to walk in love, Ephesians 2 Ephesians 5, 2 says, and walk in love, and then he qualifies that walk just as Christ also loved you. We're to walk in light, Ephesians 5, 8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. We're to walk in the light. Remember, some of you in Matt's class this morning talked about being light in this world. Believers are to be light in the in the world to shed light, uh, uh, the light of God in this darkened world. Not only that, the Holy Spirit illumines our mind and illumines our understanding, illumines our knowledge, so that we can have wisdom. The Holy Spirit helps us with our knowledge and understanding. All right, Ephesians uh, uh, 5:15 says, "Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise." but as wise. Then he tells us to walk in truth. Third John says, For I was very glad when the brethren came and testified to your uh, truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Your believer, we're to walk in truth. Then we need to pray to bear fruit. In our passage today, that's before us tonight, it says bearing fruit in every good work. Well, what does this fruit bearing mean? Fruitfulness is the result. It results from knowledge. It is, it is a mark of the redeemed. Look at this verse, John 15, 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. A major indication that somebody is saved is the fruit that they bear in their life. Now, I was born and raised here in Florida, and I can hardly tell the difference between an orange tree, a, a, a tangerine tree, a mangelo tree, a Valencia orange tree. Now, I can tell the difference in a grapefruit tree because the leaves and trunk are, are different. But most citrus trees are similar. 
How can you tell a lemon tree from a lime tree? Well, by the fruit that it bears. All right. So the Bible wants us to be uh, uh, fruitful. We're gonna, I'm going to tell you how to be fruitful in just a minute. Romans 7, 4 says, Therefore, my brethren, you are also made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined together with him who was raised up from the dead in order that you might bear fruit for Excuse me, I can't keep up with this thing. So that you might bear fruit for God. The Bible defines fruit in several ways. Now, I used to think the only way a person, could, a Christian could bear fruit would be a soul winner and go out and uh, tell people about Christ, try to get people saved, and that was bearing fruit. Now, listen to all these, listen to all these verses that we're going to cover just now. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. Now, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia. This is talking about salvation. That Paul went to Achaia and some of the first fruits in salvation were in the household of Stephanus. Romans 1.13 I, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may uh, obtain some fruit among you also, even so, even as among the Gentiles. Again, salvation. Paul wanted to, to uh, visit in Rome so that he could have some sort of fruit bearing in with the Romans. And then in R Romans 15, it says, For Macedonia and Achaia have, have been pleased to make a contribution to the poor of the saints at Jerusalem. Now verse 20, 28, Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on my way to, to Spain. Here an offering is fruit. Giving of an offering is bearing fruit. In Hebrews uh, twelve eleven, it says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Righteousness is, is fruit. Living a right life, living a righteous life, living a life that is pleasing to God. That is bearing fruit in, in a certain way. Hebrews thirteen fifteen, Through him then let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of the lips that give thanks. Giving praise to God is a way of bearing fruit, of testifying and giving testimony of who God is and what He has done, bearing fruit for God. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is probably the one that comes to mind mo most often. But the fruit of the Spirit, and then he names a bunch of things here. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, the bearing uh, bearing these kinds of attributes is bearing fruit, being fruitful for God. Need to, need to pray to increase in growth. The Bible tells us in our passage tonight in verse 10, increasing in, in the knowledge of God. Spiritual growth is increasing uh, in the knowledge of God. 
Peter says in First Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. We generally call that sanctification. Growing in our salvation generally referred to as sanctification. We are to grow in our salvation. How do we grow in our salvation? We're going to look at several marks of that just now, of growing in our salvation. Spiritual growth will produce more perfect obedience. In 1 John, it says, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Spiritual growth produces an enlarged faith. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, we ought also to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. As you grow as a Christian, your faith grows. Your faith is enlarged. You learn what the Bible says. You learn what the Bible says what to do. You learn what the Bible says what not to do. And your faith is enlarged. You grow in your salvation. In 1 Corinthians 10, 15, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be enlarged, be enlarged by you. Spiritual growth will produce a greater love. And this I pray, that your love may abound, and not only abound, but abound more and more. Psalms 119 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night. We need to love God's word, study God's word, know, know God's word. Pray to continue in strength, he says in verse 11. Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might. The word strengthen here is a, uh, a, a continuing uh, action. God's power is manifested through uh, manifested through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We, we get uh, spiritual power because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our, li in our lives. We're strengthened by the power of the Spirit. We, uh, are, the power of the Holy Spirit uh, is in the believer and gives us daily strength to endure. And then Paul tells us to pray to attain to endurance. He says in verse 11, for the attaining of steadfastness and patience joyously. Uh, Paul gives one last result of true spiritual knowledge, joyous endurance in trials. God gives strength to be steadfast. Steadfastness refers to perseverance with circumstances. Uh, patience is the ability to persevere and forbear with people. And so it's a little bit different nuance here. Uh, persevere in circumstances and uh, uh, persevere and be patient with uh, uh, people. God gives strength to be joyous. Listen to this account in Acts chap chapter 16. But about midnight, while they were in prison, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns and praising God, and the other prisoners were listening. If I were in prison, I don't think I'd be praying and singing and pray, praising God. I'd be going, trying to get a hold of my attorney to get me out of here. Acts chapter 5, 
uh, verse 41. This is when Peter and the other apostles was uh, uh, before the council. It says, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. God gives us spiritual strength to endure circumstances like that. Colossians 1.24 says, Now rejoice in my suffering. Peter said, 1 Peter 3, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. It is Paul's reoccurring prayer for the Colossians that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will and behave properly. God wants you to have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that you can act this way. God wants you to know God's word and knowing, having knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Doctrine and duty. Doctrine and duty. When, the, the, uh, you know, Pastor Mike mentioned this two or three weeks ago, the, the very same words. I thought he was going to preach my sermon that, that Sunday morning. Doctrine and duty. The pilgrims would state their doctrine and then the duty. That's what Paul did here. I want you to have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding so that you can act in, in a way that's pleasing to God. Walk in a manner pleasing to God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you tonight for the privilege to be together and to study your word. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to uh, have biblical knowledge and understanding and wisdom so that we can walk in a way that would please you. Lord, we just pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us and uh, help us to understand your word so that our manner of life would be pleasing to you. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.